This episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast is presented by The Performance Academy. For all of your athletic training needs, train with purpose at The Performance Academy. TPA houses a number of training resources from private baseball and softball instruction to team sports performance classes. Utilize advanced technologies like output sports, hit tracks, and TrackMan to take your game to the next level. On top of our elite staff and advanced technological capabilities, be a part of the TPA family and take advantage of the many resources our facility has to offer. Want to go to a game? How about a concert? How about going to see classical music? Whatever you're into, there's only one place to get your tickets. Thankfully, we are partnered with SeatGeek, the essential resource for live events. For any of your ticket needs, make sure you go over to SeatGeek.com and use the code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. For all of your clothing needs, athleisure, the sickest baseball gear you can get. We're talking hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Routine Baseball has it, and we are now partnered with them. All you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. It's routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have you will receive 10 percent off your order today one more time routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10 percent off your order today powered by riverside Welcome back to episode 127 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. We have a super, super special guest here today, um, part two, uh, one, of our, one of our very, very few multi-guest appearances here. We have Matt Trait, who is currently the recruiting coordinator and associate head coach at Goldie Beacom College in Wilmington, Delaware. Matt, thank you for joining us on the podcast here. Of course, fellas. Happy to be back. Excited to be a uh, running back running back guy, a two-timer. Yeah, two-timer. It's, it's a pretty exclusive list. Um, obviously, uh, you know, your name's up there with the Brian Torsanis of the world, so I don't know if that's good or bad. But, you know, <laughs> we, we can keep this between us, winking a nod that I'm a little bit more excited to get you back here on a second time. We might have him on for a third time, so we might have to run it back a little bit here because we got a little bit of a, a Delaware kick coming over the next couple weeks. Yeah, that'll be a good trip for you guys. It'll be nice to have you back in the Northeast uh, for the holiday season. You'll, you guys will be coming back tanned. Everybody will be thinking I'm hanging out with you after my week-long trip to Aruba. Um, getting some fun, but it'll be good to have you guys back home. You guys are killing it, um, doing really good things. It's cool to see the growth and, and see where it's kind of gone over the last – from just even the last time that I was on, hooking on now with TPA and, and doing some stuff down uh, with you know some guys I know closely too at Gardner-Webb and getting a tour of that facility. So it's really cool to see it branch out and, and uh, be a fly on the wall to see what it's become. Yeah, well, I mean, 
there's some a certain group of people that are going to be down in Cary in the in the month of February, and and we'll have full intentions of of getting you in person and and doing something fun there. But um, obviously, super super excited for what we have, and super excited for our conversation today. Um, if you haven't listened to our first episode with Coach Trait, uh, head back to probably a couple months ago. I would say I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, um, but we talked a lot about culture, right, and culture at Goldie Beacom, and and a lot of things like that. That's super important. And today we wanted to dive a little bit more into the player development side. Coach Trait's one of the best in the business with those things, and obviously somebody that Dan and I were both lucky to work with and learn from. So uh, definitely want to dive in the weeds there. But first, uh, how was the fall and, and how are things going in, in lightning land? Uh, everything's going pretty good. We got through the fall pretty healthy. Um, you know, it was an interesting fall for us. We had, uh, you know, from the player development side and just offensively specifically, we had the most uh, hitters that we've had since since I've been there. So this is year eight. Um, this is the largest group of hitters that we had. So going in kind of into the summer. And when we talked uh, before, like I know I was kind of ravaging my brain of how, how I was going to go through this fall, how I was going to give the guys individually what they needed while still, you know, preparing our team offensive philosophy for the spring, you know, where we try to make another push for, for a national title, um, you know, but it was good. It was, it was a fun challenge. I think that, you know, much like the culture piece, the offensive side of it, the great thing about it is each year is just so different. Um, you know, even if you have little turnover in your roster, which we did, we only graduated three. Um, we did bring in a, a decent amount of guys, but we'd only graduated uh, three and two two offensive players off last year's uh, regional team. But uh, to to have new guys in the fold, even if there's even if you have the same core group, they're different, right? Because they're at a different point in their life. Um, you know, you get to see what they kind of worked on in the summer. Some of them went away to play. Some of them stayed stayed home trained, um, worked on their body a little bit more. So it is a little bit different each fall. Um, but this was a, an exciting challenge and, and it was fun. I think we came out, um, I came out the fall feeling like we were ready to play, um, which is different than I felt before. Cause I don't know that that was the focus before. I felt like we did a little bit less on the individual development side this fall, which is kind of different how I've always done it in the past. And we focused more on team offensive concepts um, and really implementing what we want to be um, from our offensive identity. I've, so I felt like once we were done, um, you know, late October, early November, if we had to play a meaningful game that next week, we were ready to go compete at a high level. Uh, you know, and now we're fortunate as we head into the winter that I feel like, and you guys know because you've coached with us, but with the weather we get and our facility set up, I'm going to get a lot of that individual time that maybe I put towards in the fall. Traditionally, I'm going to get that in the spring. So I have a lot better idea of each individual guy's movement profile, kind of what makes each guy tick from a mental side. Um, so I'm hoping that kind of took maybe a couple steps back on the individual side in the fall. That's going to help us take a couple steps forward, um, you know, with what they worked on in the winter and when we come back. Uh, for the spring season, which is still considered winter and January 15th when we start. Um, but no, I'm excited. It was good. I know we, we, you and I, since we speak frequently, luckily for me, um, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but can you just kind of go into what made you make that flip? Was it just because of the sheer number of 26 and it was like, we, you know, you have a lot of new guys, so you need to learn them a little bit before you start, you know, 
giving them individual plans because it's hard to meet someone and two weeks later say, here, this is what you need to work on. Um, or was it just like a, a staff-wide decision that maybe this will help us get off to a quicker start? What made you go more team concept this fall? I think a couple things. So first, the way that we structured the fall was a little bit different, where we front-loaded games. Um, so we're fortunate at, at our level, we're allowed to play three outside competitions um, in the fall that don't count against us in the spring. So Traditionally, what we would do is we would go indies right off the start, kind of on-ramp guys. We'd do that for a month, and we would get in the team. This year, we only did like two weeks of indies and then got right in the team. So I felt like I wanted to put more focus on the team concepts because we started team practice in that first Saturday. So we started team practice on a Monday, and that first Saturday we played. Um, so I didn't want to dive into too much. Um, and then I think definitely the numbers played a role in it. Um and then just how we laid it out, like I said, traditionally what I would do, I'm not a big bring somebody in and watch them hit and after two days be like, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, it's funny, a lot of our older guys, or I'll even tell some of the old, younger guys when they come in, it's like, hey, if I'm not talking to you, um, you know, the first week or two that you're here, it's not because I don't like you and it's not because I, I don't want to help you, but I'm also going to just evaluate. I want to kind of see where you're at. Um, and see what you bring to the table before I start saying, hey, man, like, that's great, but I just saw you take around to BP. You need to change this and change that. And it's just like, well, now the trust is already broken, I feel like. And I don't really have much of a sample size um, off of what they need to do. And then on top of that, like, what environment am I watching them in? Am I watching them in a flip environment that's, like, not challenging at all? T environment, same thing, or, like, are we, you know, baptism by fire off the hack attack? Are they seeing live arms? Like, what are we making the adjustments off of? Um, so I've always been, I shouldn't say always, but as I've progressed in my career, I've become more of a stand back and evaluate um, before I speak, uh, you know, especially to the hitters, because I do know how hard it is. And I think a lot of the older guys now that we've had that have been with me for a while really respect that. But the young guys, when they come in, they're like, this guy's not even saying anything. And they're like, that's good. Like, trust me, that's good. Like he wants to see you fail, fail forward. Like, and then when you have issues, go to him. And once you go to him, he's hands on and he's like, he's going to dive in and, and roll up the sleeves and get in there with you. But I'm also not going to just badger somebody, you know, and try to change things if they don't feel like they need to change anything at the time, because they're not going to be invested in it. Yeah, and, and buy-in is so important when you have to make a change for a guy that sometimes you almost want to, like, not want to see them struggle, but it's almost better to see them struggle, especially for those young guys that have probably hit 450 their whole life every weekend, that, that moment when they do start to struggle, they kind of actually are searching for that advice. And it's like, hey, yeah, this game speeds up a little bit, and, and we can kind of uh, make some adjustments there. But, you know, I want to kind of circle back to the team concepts a little bit there and just talk about kind of the open-mindedness to change. Obviously, you've had success in the past. Your teams have had success in the past doing things a certain way. Kind of how have you continued to adapt and grow? I think that's something some that I've noticed as an outsider who's just followed Goldie Beacon baseball at every step of the way is super impressive because I know we've talked about it. Your, the team last year stole a lot more bases and didn't hit as many home runs as I'm sure you would have liked or as as it had in the past. 
but just being able to adapt and change and manipulate what you're trying to do and be that chameleon of an offensive coach, offensive coordinator, however you want to describe it, of like knowing what's going to work for those guys. What has kind of gone into that over the, the years? I think that's a really good question. And I think a lot of it has come down to recruiting. Um, you know, so when you're starting a program from scratch, um, you know, every everything has its challenges, whether you're starting a program from scratch or you're at a program with a rich history or so it's not a woe is us or woe is anybody else. Everybody has their challenges. So you have to figure out what your challenges are. And I think early on, our challenges were, you know, we could get good baseball players that were that had some ability offensively to hit, but maybe weren't that high end of an athlete, you know, Um, and it's not to slight those guys, but it was really hard to convince guys to come in and say, Hey, here's a program with no tradition. We have nothing and we're going to win while we're here. And I promise you, and and we're going to do this, you know, because kids, when you're recruiting, want to go somewhere where they're going to have a chance to, to win right away and to get drafted and play for conference championships and national titles. So I think that there's a, like a, you know, a chain of command, some steps that you have to take to get there. So early on our offensive philosophy and a lot of this is probably who I was as a player and just as a young hitting coach where I just wanted to slug teams to death, you know, and we lived and died by the three run home run. And I think that we took that as far as we could. I thought we, you know, we had some high on base years. I thought we could really, um, we could really hit, um, we would punch out a good amount of times, though, um, but we would we would leave the yard. And even the years that you guys were with us, um, you know, we went to we made our first regional run like that team was built around power, um, you know, guys that could leave the yard. And and I think that the longer that I'm in it and I coach in the area that I coach, it's like, well, there's a lot of things that are outside of our factor outside of our control that factor into that. So. For instance, like the first two years, we were a Woodback conference. So, like, you know, we probably we probably should have been a little bit more of the offense we were last year in year seven, but we didn't have those type of horses to run that race. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why try to set up our team to steal a bunch of bases when we had a bunch of guys that, you know, we only had a couple guys that ran sub six, yeah, or sub seven, sorry. So. We didn't have we didn't have a yeah, sub six. I'll take some sub six. <laughs> we only had a couple guys that ran sub seven, so it's like we had to be we had to we had to really drive the baseball, but drive the baseball with wood bats in you know forty degree weather, um, you know not ideal. You're playing a lot of you're playing a lot of one nothing two one games, but we did have some guys with some juice, so we still left the yard with wood bats. So that kind of philosophy played for us early early in our time there. Um, but as we got into it and we're starting to play deeper in the postseason, we're playing more meaningful games. It's like those years weren't a failure because they, because the, the journey is the reward. Right. Um, and it really is, but like our ultimate goal is to win it. Like I, we want to win a national title. We want to compete on a national level. So to some extent we fell, you know, we fell short of that. So it wasn't successful. So you go back to the drawing board and you look at it and it's like, okay, well, The first year we went to the regional, um, we played a lot of tight games. Kudos to Dan and and Coach Cockill put together a great um, a great plan and and kept us in games. And we were you know we were playing a lot of tight ball games, but we were facing some really good arms. 
and we went two and two in that regional. And it's like, you know, the one, the one night we won a game late night, we hit a two, we hit a two run bomb in the first mm-hmm. and we kind of rode that the whole time, the whole game. We didn't have anything else to show for it. We were, you know, living again, live and die by the three run home run and, and punched a lot. Um, so after that year, I kind of looked at it. I'm like, well, there's got to be a different way. Um, I don't really want to forgo the power, um, you know, but I want to be able to win. I want us to be able to win games offensively in a multitude of ways because some things that we can't control are the arm that we're facing. You're going to face a really good – you're going to face – everybody's number one's really good. Everybody's number two's, you know, pretty much really good. Um, where we can get fat, I feel like, offensively is when we play five, six-game weeks – I really feel like our five and six on the mound is like somebody else's one, two, or three, and then our offense can get fat. But if we're facing a good arm, we can't control that. Our park really plays to drive the ball out to left, but if the wind's blowing in from left, like those balls get caught. So we have to find different ways to score runs. So the philosophy kind of shifted from, hey, let's get on base and let's slug to let's find as many ways to win and hedge our bets and be, you know, death by a thousand cuts and be able to, you know, score, score more runs. Do I care how they're scored anymore? No. Home runs are fun. I mean, we have our bomb book and that's like one of the best things the kids designed when we were there. And it's like when they come in, you know, the, the no fun NCAA said no more celebrating on the field with anything and took that away. Virginia Tech sledgehammer and all that. So now we have a bomb book. So we have a, we have a Polaroid camera in the dugout. When somebody hits a home run, you know, if you hit a home run with guys on base, you take the picture with the guys on base and it gets plastered in the book and the dugout goes nuts. And it's a book that we have, you know, we'll have for the eternity of the the program, which is really cool. But I like scoring runs like that, just like I like scoring runs with a guy on first. We hit a ball in the gap or driving a guy in with a routine ground ball with a runner on third and executing in those situations. I don't care as much as I want to score more runs. And when I started to look at, like what we do offensively from a standpoint of like what our record is when we score six, seven, eight runs a game. It's like crazy. Like if we can get to that seven, eight run threshold, yep. that's huge. And and I think that if the more times that you put pressure on teams, the more apt you are to score runs. And I think the more times that you put pressure on pitchers, the more apt they are to leave pitches up in the zone. And I think that's, you can still hit those, you can still get those uh, three run bombs. They might just come at different points in the game. But so that's kind of changed, you know, and as we've won, the recruiting model has changed. So now we do have a lot of guys, you know, that can run like last year, our catcher stole 46, 47 bases. He ran a six, five, you know, like our center fielder ran a six, three. So we, you know, Meech and left runs a six, five. And I think he was 26 to 26 stealing bases last year and also had, you know, a couple pumps and the catcher that stole 47 bags had 10 home runs and I think 15 doubles. So like he had a great year. So like our recruiting models changed where we're getting a little bit more well-rounded athlete um, versus the guy that just is a couple trick pony where it's like, he can get on base. He's got really good plate discipline. He can drive the ball, but now we have, some of those guys that maybe don't have as much thump, even though, you know, Chich who runs a six, three still hit three home runs last year. Like I'll, you know, I'll take that as a, as a leadoff guy. Um, You know, so that, that has kind of changed our offensive philosophy. 
Yeah, and you, you stole my thunder of my next question because I wanted to go into just being multiple, right? And the example you used of the regional where we were all together up at Franklin Pierce, we show up there day one, we have practice on-field BP. It's a laser show. It's warm water. The wind's blowing off the lake. Everything's good and dandy. And then for whatever reason, a cold front comes in, the wind turns, and it's just blowing in. And I remember sitting in the dugout, and I believe it was the Lemoyne game, where we hit a lot of balls in the air. Um, the first one, if I'm not mistaken, I saw Dan. Stack? Malloy? I think it was Sorry. Malloy. If I, Malloy. Malloy, yeah. Um, and it was a lot of balls in the air that kind of held up for flyouts, right? And balls that were, like, punished, right? Like, not, yeah. not like, hit, hit soft. And it's just, like being able to build that multiple offense of like, okay, like we realized early that like this whole Homer thing is not working and we're facing really good pitchers and where we have to scratch and claw for, you know, a flare single to win a game one, nothing um, because we're facing the, the East region pitcher of the year and things like that. Like those come up in regional scenarios where you have to have multiple different ways to win. So I kind of want to, transition because you touched on all the points of being multiple and the importance of just scoring runs not how you score runs of the mindset of that what kind of offensive identity are you trying to bring now that it might not be directly you know challenge the fence challenge the pole hit some homers is it aggressiveness and aggressiveness in every way i mean the fact that you're mentioning guys stealing 47 bases guys stealing 26 bases kind of like just off the cuff like it's not a big deal. Like that's a huge deal um, with, while also having guys that can challenge the fence. Is that kind of like starting to build that identity? Like if you could build your perfect offense, is it around that aggressiveness of we're going to take second base when we can with the steal, but we're also not going to complain when that same guy that can steal 26 bags can also challenge double digit home runs. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, it's, it, it's chess, not checkers, right? Um, we want to leverage our situation every every chance we can offensively to set us up for the best chance of success. So, you know, offensively from a swing perspective, we talk about maximizing our miss hits, you know, where I want the, you know, we don't sack bunt much. I don't, I, I don't hate it. Um, Cause I do think that there's a place for it in the game, in the game. Um, our offensive philosophy, I don't want to use it that much. Um, unless we have to, but I do want to base hit bunt. You know, my ideal lineup is one through nine. Everybody can base hit base base hit bunt, and everybody can leave the yard. I think that even if you you show teams that you're going to base hit bunt, all of a sudden that brings the third baseman in. What does that leave behind him in the five five hole space? Maximize our miss hits. You get out in front of a breaking ball. All of a sudden that was a ground ball to the third baseman. If you never show that, you know, like that year that you're built on the three run home run. All of a sudden, your big guy gets out in front on a, on a breaking ball. He he doesn't have the ability to base hit bunt. That's a routine ground out or that's a double play. You know, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, there's just so much you have to pre- prepare for defensively that you're like, okay, well, this guy has to play even or in front. So now I've created space behind. It's like, well, they're going to run. So we got to, you know. First and second are guys second. We got to really focus on holding it second. Well, all of a sudden that opens up more space in the infield. Now we've maximized our miss hits. Um, you know, the outfield has to be, you know, when they play us, has to be really cognizant of like who's on base. What are they going to try to do? Like you're just, I, I like to think I haven't played us and I don't talk to enough people probably that do play us, but I would like to think that after you play one of our offenses right now, 
you are mentally exhausted because you're just like, what are they going to do? Like you constantly have to be aware. So you're making guys on the mound uncomfortable because you know we're going to run. So it's like, okay, if you're going to be really good at holding, we're not going to just run into outs. That's fine. But maybe your pitchers aren't comfortable slide stepping. Now they're uncomfortable. It's like maybe your middle infielders aren't, you know, maybe they don't have enough range that if they hold, they can get to a certain spot. Um, You know, so I think that that leverages our situation a little bit. Um, You know, but overall, like, yeah, we want to be super aggressive. Um, It's a little bit of a football mentality, turning the defensive side into the offensive piece where it's like pressure burst pipes. You know, I want to be constant pressure from first pitch to last pitch is what I want to be. Now, I think that that you can't just be willy nilly in that. I think that that's something that needs to be taught. I think that that's something that's communicated on a daily basis. Um, It's more calculated pressure than it is anything else. Um, You know, we want to have safety in our pocket. We want to have suicide squeeze in our pocket. We want to have first and third offense in our pocket. And it takes a lot of time to, to install all that. And I think the, the tricky way to do it is to find a way to install all those things that you might think are important to you, but do it in a setting that guys are engaged where it's not, you know, like the guys at Gardner Webb talked about it a little bit where it's like, Hey, we're going to do bunk coverages. It's like, nobody wants to stand there and do bunk coverages. Like we don't want to stand there and run through first and thirds or do this or do that. But we found a way to gamify it a little bit. And it's like, we do a little bit, a lot and kind of chunk it. And that's where, you know, going back to the original question of, how did we develop offensively this fall? It's like we did it through game settings a lot more, you know, whether it was like a coach pitch or an inner squad or hack attack scrimmage or like against somebody else, we tried to do a lot of different things and kind of went baptism by fire and installing some of this. That way we feel like when, you know, we get to the spring, we can kind of touch on things, slow it down if we have to, but hit the ground running. Um, I just want to go back to that. Before, that yeah, answer the question. <laughs> absolutely. Before I get into my question, I just want to go back a couple uh, answers ago when you mentioned uh, the program record when you score like eight plus runs, and I would just like to apologize for one of the losses <laughs> on there. Um, it, was prob- <laughs> it was on me. I, I think we all know which one I'm talking about. Um, That's but- not your fault. We all <laughs> we all uh, we all play a part in it. We probably could have scored more runs that that uh, that day. We put up. We, I felt like we put up enough. <laughs> it happens. It's ebbs and flows, right? But I mean, it, it's a good point because, like, not that. Like, I know you're you're like making a joke, but like, it is a good point. Like, how much, how much more enjoyable is it for you as a pitching coach, or how much more comfortable does your pitching staff feel? Where it's like, all right, these guys are going to go out and score. Like, you never feel like you're out of a game instead of being out there and having to. I can't give up. It's a lot easier to pitch, I would assume. I don't pitch. But I would assume it's a lot easier to pitch feeling like I, I, need, to keep it, I need to keep it close versus I can't give up a run. I well, need to keep it in it. It's the same, you know, just looking at it from the other way going around too, right? It's a lot easier to hit when you're not constantly feeling like you're chasing four runs in the first inning, right? So, like, that's <laughs> – and that's what makes – baseball a team game when it's it's really you know it's an individual in a lot of ways but that's really what makes it a team game it's like if you can you know both sides of the ball have faith in each other you know and it's even just like how much easier it is to pitch when you know you got a good defense behind you because you're not trying to you know generate a swing and miss on every single pitch so right you know it kind of goes together talk a little bit 
I try not to ever tell someone to talk a little bit about it because it's open-ended, but how do you create that buy-in when you're developing, you know, when you're changing the offense a little bit and you're trying to create, you know, that dynamic offense of we're going to take the extra base and we're going to be able to base hit bunt because, I mean, I sat in the dugout with you for five years of you telling guys like, why aren't we trying to base hit bunts? But, you know, I remember we'd be facing an arm who, who was good and was kind of, you know, we were just going up there and taking our bats and we weren't, trying to force the issue how do you create that buy-in is it all just by doing the game like stuff because i can even imagine you know some days where guys are just going through the motions even when you have the game like stuff so where does creating that buy-in come from is it just constantly you know reaffirming them every day i think it's reaffirming them every day i think um it's creating a reward system you know something we started to do last year was just simply chart barrels anytime we hit on the field um, and a simple pass fail. Like if you're on the barrel, it's, it, you're one for one. And then in your next ball, if you're not on the barrel, you're one for two. Um, you know, so from a swing perspective, I think charting barrels has been huge because it incentivizes it. And it's like, you know, we have a weekly winner where whoever wins the barrels for the week gets like a T-shirt or, you know, what like a, a winter hat or like the extra gear that all college programs have floating around. It's just like it's a way for guys to compete and it puts emphasis on – something that they can control a little bit. Cause now we're talking about like now, now without telling them um, the importance of making positive swing decisions, which we talk about, but like, instead of just like beating that into them, it's like, it's showing them the importance of making positive swing decisions. Now we're controlling the zone. Guys are understanding their own ability. Like, Hey, here's pitches that I hammer. Here's pitches that I don't like. You'll see our guys take a lot in BP, take strikes sometimes, you know, unless we're like not in an, most times we're in an OO count. Um, when we're taking BP, not all the time. Um, but so like, we'll chart that, um, that's been helpful to, to get our identity. Cause when you're charting barrels, right. You're not, you're not focused on, it's still outcome driven, but it's not right. Cause you're talking about were you on the barrel or were you not? Cause like that doesn't, I didn't ask you if you got a hit. I didn't ask right. you what the mm-hmm. ball flight did. I didn't ask anything of that like, just keep it, keep the main thing, the main thing, right. Let's be on the barrel. How many times can we be on the barrel? From the the base hit bunt standpoint and doing the other things, I think it comes down to giving them creative freedom. And under especially in the fall, understanding that like success and defining success for them is huge. Success is an attempt, not the outcome. Success isn't I executed the base hit bunt. Success is being willing to pull it out. Success is pushing the envelope and trying to steal second where maybe you weren't sure if you had it in the fall setting. Um, okay, you made it. Okay, you didn't. Like, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, loosening the reins a little bit, which I think, you know, for most people, I would say is probably hard to do because it's uncomfortable, right? Because now you're putting, you know, your livelihood, you know, in in a kid's hands, but you know, that's why, like, we don't give the steal much. We green light. Or, we, you know, if the, if the math doesn't add up or we see something that we don't, then we, we tell them they're red. But we want those guys to have freedom. Because if I have to tell somebody to execute something, you know, like that, like a stolen base, it's a lot harder. They're a tick, they're a tick later. And if it's going to be bang, bang, they're a tick later, they're out. So I think taking the reins off of them and, and – again, defining what success looks like to them, what I think success is, which is being comfortable trying it, creative freedom, 
especially in the fall where it's like fail, like push the envelope. Like you guys have seen when we do bolt BP and we talk bolt BP enough, like bolt BP is huge for us when we talk about like our base running stuff, like our guys push the envelope and go first to third on balls that they would never try to go first to third on in the season if they didn't do it in practice. There's like so many times you'll see when we play in carry, somebody will hit a sack fly to center with a runner on second and I'm standing at third with my arm up and the guy tags and he beats it. Because I don't think that he can beat it, but he's done it a million times in practice, even though I've seen it. So like more times than not, like the only thing that I control at third is whether I'm sending the guy, you know, on a ball behind him to score. But like balls, if you're a runner at first base, and the balls hit the left. I just stand there. I don't say anything. That's their read. I've allowed them to take ownership. And then, you know what? When they get thrown out, I don't jump down their throat. Yep. Mm-hmm. I talk to them and hey, what did you see? What made, you know, like they're frustrated because they're embarrassed because they got thrown out. So, like, some guys you can go right over to them. Some guys you got to let chill for a second. You know, but then you have a conversation with them. And it's like, hey okay, like you got tossed. Like, was that ideal? No, obviously we want to be safe. Um, you know, but what did you see? Uh, well, I saw this and I thought this, okay, well, here's what I saw. I thought your, your, your route was a little bit wide. You know, you can cut the bag a little bit better at second and then you probably beat it. Now it turns into a conversation and it's not like now when he goes to do that again, he's going to have success more than, more than likely versus I've, I've pulled the reins back on him and now he's afraid to make a mistake. So I think that that's something that we've done a really good job of over the last couple of years where it's like, let your athletes athlete, man. Um, and, and it's not like laissez-faire where it's, we're not coaching them up. I know sometimes it sounds like that, but, um, you know, like I think that there's power in that. There's power in conviction. I'm going to tell you this. This has never happened in, in, in our interview settings where you've stolen my question twice. Nice. <laughs> gotten there. So I guess that <laughs> – I guess me I'm and you just – I'm running this podcast right now. <laughs> Seriously. I, I guess that just ex- – we're, Now we're going to interview you. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Um, I guess that explains why we're probably usually on the same page more times than not when we talk <laughs> and have conversations. But I was going to ask about – the, the next step of like, okay, kid runs in a situation where he shouldn't have run in. And it's very obvious from a detached coach's standpoint. And we see it so many times, like every coach wants to talk about, Hey, we want our offense to steal X amount of bags and we want to be safe at an 80% clip. And then a kid runs in a, in an OO count with his, with the three hitter up in two outs and whatever situation you're in and gets thrown out and the coach jumps him. And then they're like, I wonder why that kid never runs again, right? Never has the confidence <laughs> to run. It's just like talking about the mental aspect and I guess tie this into to hitting as well of like hitting is so mental. The offensive game is so mental and so much of it comes down to confidence where it's like, you know, a guys, these kids are 18 to 22 years old. They're not fully developed as as human beings in, in the brain capacity that being able to empower them to make mistakes and know that you're not breathing down their neck to, you know, just absolutely rip into them. The example I always use is. Runner on third, less than two outs, tight game, guy punches out. He knows, everybody in the ballpark knows, the one thing he couldn't do was strike out. And how many times do we see coaches that absolutely rip that kid to shreds when he gets back into the dugout and basically embarrass him in front of his teammates and in front of his peers when he knows 
for certain that he is he knows more than you that he made a mistake kind of talk about that mental side of uh hitting of empowering confidence and understanding when the the right time to criticize or get on a guy and and the right time to educate a guy yeah that's really good because i think that that you know is you know so much of the battle probably closer to 90 percent 95 percent of the battle when you're talking about you know, dealing with hitters and, and just human beings and, and understanding what that looks like. I mean, first things first, I think that, um, you know, we all want to win. We all want to compete. Our guys know that, um, you know, they know I want to win just as much as them. Uh, you know, I'm in the trenches with them. But and, and this has changed over my career and a lot of it. You know, I had a guy that I played for that was great and kind of taught me some of this. Um, but I only got to play for one guy that was like this. Um, and then. You know, when I got to Goldie, I can remember I would, I, you know, it would happen where it's like, oh, you know, second and third, one out. And it's like guy punches. I'm like, that can't happen. And one time Skip was like, well, it can because you just watched it happen. And it's like, and, and it's funny. And it's like, I was really mad in the moment. And I'm like, but he's right. And then I think being around, you know, people like you two that are so like level, um, you know, the year I got to work with you on the offensive side was like huge for my development. Um just as a, as a player and, a, and, or as a person and a coach. And then like having Bill and Kevin on staff now that it's like, you know, guys can talk through situations in the dugout or I can look at you and like, we're on the same page um, with different things, but hitting is hard. Um, you know, so much of it comes down to what's in, what's going on between their ears. So that's something that we do work on. Um, and we'll work on more. We didn't work on as much this fall, but something that we'll work on a lot this spring and the winter um, before we get playing is the mental side of it. Because like you do jump down that kid's throat and then it's like, okay, well, how much, what, what's the percentage he has success when he gets that same opportunity in two innings or in two games or in two weeks, he's going to go right back to that. Um, so I think, you know, letting guys know that it's okay, you know, that it's not, it's okay. It's not, um, you don't have to settle for it, but it's okay. You know, don't settle for the fact that you struck out or that you failed, however you want to deem it, or, you know, you made a mistake on the bases or whatever, but like, let's learn from it and let's move forward from, uh, let's move forward together. Um, and I think those conversations are important. Um, and once guys get past that, like, in, you know, especially with the younger guys, once they get past like the embarrassment stage of it, because that's usually what they've come up in where they've just been, all right, well, now he's going to jump down my throat or this is embarrassing. Like, you know, I just let my team down. And it's like, well, did you though? Because like the guy before you probably had a chance to drive him in and maybe he didn't or the guy after you or whatever. Like there's so much that goes into it and just trying to stay focused on on what you can control. And I think that one thing that's helped us mentally, um, you know, is they know how much – I love them and they know that I'm not going to kill them when they make a mistake. I'm far enough removed from a player and I wasn't very good, but I, I remember how hard it is to hit and the daily grind of, of, of the process of hitting. So I think having those conversations with them leading up to it, I think is important. Um, watching guys fail forward, um, you know, having guys in your program that have struggled and younger guys are able to turn to them and be like, you know, we had a guy in our program that I can remember talking off the ledge as a freshman, and he's got a chance to probably, be, you know, 
will probably be an all-conference player this year and has the tools to be the conference player of the year this year. And as a freshman, he was talking about maybe never wanting to play baseball again because he just didn't think he belonged and he was getting beat up a lot. Like guys being able to lean on those guys and talk about their experiences going through it is huge. Um, and then just from a from a swing perspective, a couple things that I'm proud that we've done is like, you know, something as simple as positive self-talk and making those guys write three things down that they're telling themselves when they go to the plate to clear their mind. Um, you know, we walk, we work on our walk to the plate. We work on how we enter the box. We work on how to control our breath and get to a focal point on our bat or, or something on our helmet or a batting glove to kind of control our breath and then talk about the three things that we're going to tell ourselves. And it's individualized. It's different for everybody. Um, but it's always positive because I think positive, positive thoughts breed positive results. Um, you know, and then another thing that I think that, that we've done a good job of is they all have like a little highlight reel of their good swings. I think video for me is so important. Um, and bad video is important too, to see, you want to see, you know, what's going wrong. But I think it's super important that guys look at before games, look at video of when they're going really good to put, you know, to put that in their mind. Um, you know, here's some, and it could be swings from earlier in the year. It could be swings from earlier in the week, but just to have that like in front of them, I think really helps their mental game. Um, you know, so I think that that's helped kind of lend our guys to, to that creative freedom and be able to take the reins off because we do work the mental game so much offensively. And they do know that, that I understand it's hard and, and I'm not going to jump down their throat. Um, you know, and I think you got to know your guys too. I think there's a couple guys that we had last year that it was like, it was somewhere of a hybrid with that where it's like, I needed to jump down their throat. But I think that, and you can, I'm not saying you have to be kumbaya and you got to light candles in the dugout and, and you know, you got to hug up on everybody all the time because it doesn't have to be that, but the message isn't as important as how it's delivered, you know, jumping up and down in the third base box, yelling at somebody isn't going to help that kid. It's only going to put him deeper in a hole. That doesn't mean that I can't take him, take him into the dugout and firmly ask him, what, what are you doing? (laughs) He might need that, you know, like he might need that. That might be how he reacts. Cause I've had like a guy last year that I'm thinking of. It's like, Hey man, it's all right. Like, I understand what you saw. Like, it's tough. And he's like, it's not, you know, it's not all right. It's not, you know, like you all, everybody's had that kid. And it's like, okay, well, you need to, you need to find something to snap him out of it because now he needs to go play defense. So maybe it is getting a little bit more, you know, vocal with him, but not in front of everybody, not in front of his team. Like, you know, so you got to, you have to know your guys, know your personnel. That's a, that's a a really good point because everybody is different. Everybody responds differently, but um, I'm going to kind of, veer off here a little bit because i think that you know just my knowledge of of, from working with you is is when i first got to join the program i knew nothing about numbers and data and obviously it's taken over baseball and and i learned a lot of it from from you and and skipper up there um why are people (laughs) i'm gonna ask you this and see where you go with it why are people in baseball so afraid of data and numbers and, and, and why don't – what is your opinion on, on the people who, who sit there and constantly on social media want to bash, you know, looking at numbers that can, in my opinion, only only help? 
Um, it's a good question. I think it's, I've never really thought of it, but as you ask it, I actually think the answer is easier than what we think it is. I think we need to dumb it down even, even more. I think people want something concrete one way or the other. I, I don't think people really want to live in the gray area of anything. They want this or they want that. And it's like, I just don't think that's how life works. Like even from a swing standpoint, like from an offensive development standpoint, like there's guys that I don't necessarily like or believe in what they teach, but I'm not so dismissive of it because I do think that I can take something from it and help one guy, you know? Um, And I think it's the same when you're talking about like the numbers, like the numbers aren't for everybody. You know, I could give, from a player perspective, like you could give a, you could have a rap soda or something in front of the player and he's going to eat that up. And then player B that's going to completely blow his mind and it's going to send him into a tailspin. So it comes back to knowing your personnel when you're giving those guys that kind of data and that kind of information. But just from like an overall, like broad perspective, baseball, um, you know, baseball community, which I think is what you're asking. Why? I just think people want it so concrete. They want this or that. I don't, don't tell me about the numbers. Just show me the play on the field, you know? And it's like, well, there's just so much that goes into it. Our game is so complex that, and there's so many things that are out of our control. You know, like you could look at, you can look at like, that's why, like I mentioned earlier about chart and barrels, why I think that's so important for us. It's like from the offensive side, Oh man, like, uh, I mean, pick anybody, but Adolis Garcia's, Garcia stinks right now. He's starting, he starts the season 0 for 8. It's like, okay, well, he's 0 for 8 and hits six balls over 100 miles an hour. You know, and somebody, and somebody's going to be like, well, I, I just see that he's like, he's making outs. It's like, okay, yeah, but he's like, he's right there. He's hit six balls 100 miles an hour. So I think there is a mesh point, but nobody wants all that in their head because it's just more that you have to be open to. And I think, People were afraid to be open to different things. People, kind of what we talked about before the show started, like people want to be comfortable, right? You right. want to know what you know. You want to know what you know. But I just think there's so much out there to learn. And that, to me, that's the exciting part about the game is as old as it is and as traditional as the game is, like, and, and where it's going. I think it's in a great place right now. It's the college and professional has, is more athletic than it's ever been before. The, the special athletes that are playing this game. Um, but there's more information out there than there ever has been before too. And I think there's beauty in that because at the bottom, at the, at the bottom line of it, like it's still score more runs than the other team and doing things like in, you see when it matters most, like doing things situationally in the postseason, whether you're talking college baseball or the MLB season, right. it still matters. Um, I know I'm kind of going off, going off on something else there, but I, I think that's why. I just think people want it this way or that way. They don't want to have, they don't want to be open to to different things because you can go down. It's like you can go down a rabbit hole. It's like a tree. I had to give a presentation um, a couple of weeks ago. A hitting presentation. It's like so there's so many branches of the tree, but there's also the root system underneath. You can go so many different ways. Right. So it's like, how, how deep do you want to go? And I think people just don't like that gray area freaks people out. <laughs> I'm glad you bring that up because that's the, the kind of where I wanted to go next. How do you 
you know, as you sit there and, and, and does it depend, I guess, year to year and what lineup you have on what numbers you're kind of more focused on? Obviously, you've talked a lot about barrel percentage today and, and that matters because typically when you find a barrel, good things happen. Are you, you know, what kind of stuff, you know, because I can think back to, I don't remember what year it was. We all had every every guy on the on, in the lineup had a had a blast on on their on their knob. Now a lot of people <laughs> it didn't last long because people didn't appreciate us doing that. But um, <laughs> like, how do you kind of sift through what information you think is best, and and has it gotten to the point now where it's so individualized on on each guy on on hey this for you I just want you to focus on this for you I want you to focus on this because at the end of the day you know to the point you made about Adolis Garcia, if a guy's, you know, starts the season 0 for 13, but six of those balls come off the bat 95 plus, like he's probably going to stay in the lineup and guys behind him need to understand that he's going to stay in the lineup. <laughs> right. Water finds its level, right, Dan? Yes, always. Um, I think it's become more individualized um, and it's been more, it's in the recent years, it's been more approach-based and more conversation-based and more minor swing adjustments. I mean, we've been fortunate. We haven't really brought guys in on um, the last couple of years that it's like, hey, we've had to overhaul this, that, or the other. Um, you know, like last year, Johnny, who had a great year, the minor adjustment that we made, and I, when I say we, I mean me, him, the coaching staff. Like, it's never the coaching staff. It's the player is at the forefront of – of making any t- any type of change because one they have to want to do it two they have to be it has to be something they're comfortable with and you know three there has to be a need for a change but like the minor change that we made with him was just like his initial setup um you know and like it kind of helped him it just put him in a better position to hit um at foot strike and uh you know he kind of took off from that now i could have if we had blast on him it would have told me this that or the other but um, I just don't think, I don't think he needed the, he needed numbers. He needed, he needed feels. And a lot of the guys, I think now, because they're, because numbers are so prevalent in our game and, and they are around and kids grow up with them and understand it a little bit more, um, you know, or I guess understand it even sometimes a little bit less, even though they have more information out there. I still think it it's good for the coach to understand what the numbers are showing and what it means, but I don't know how much the players need it, you know, need access to it. I think that you can show them um, and you can use it as a way to drive something home a little bit more, but, um, you know, and it's not to knock blast because I think it was great while we had it and I still use it for some things, but, and I learned so much when the whole team had it, but so much of it is in, is in video um, and approach and feel that I think it has become more, more just individual conversations and individualized. Um, you know, we have our base, like what we want to do offensively. It's like our guys know we want to hit a hundred doubles and steal a hundred bases. Um, you know, and if you have the right team, sometimes you don't hit a hundred doubles because you hit more home, you know, those doubles turned into home runs. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of our basis. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, give them too much. I just think it's hard enough that they're sitting there looking at numbers and they're like, you know, what, what I found with blast. And somebody asked me about it the other day, actually. And, um, you know, I think it was a good tool, but what, I, and I always go back to our good friend, Brian McCourt. It's like he, uh, you know, he was chasing numbers on his blast because his numbers were, were, were skewed. And it's like when the more information I learned about it, about the tool itself, it's like, well, 
Brian McCourt barrel tips. So as soon as he started to tip, tip his barrel, it would trigger the sensor to give you to, you know, to cue it up for a certain metric. And he would never get there because it start, you know, it would say he was completely disconnected or, you know, it, it would it would alter his numbers. So he was constantly trying to chase numbers and really he was putting himself in bad positions to hit. You know, we figured that out pretty quick and then we were able to make that adjustment like, you know, don't worry about the numbers. Yeah, and and one of the things that I find fascinating too when we talk about the numbers as well is, you know, we're we're lucky enough and we work with a lot of hitters that that have a hit tracks right, and it's it's immediate feedback. But guys get in a bad habit chasing numbers on hit tracks, right? Like topspin is a thing that I don't think hit tracks registers as much as you'd you'd think it should um, for for a machine that's as expensive and. Um, you know, impressive to be able to build something that does that. But you see kids that, again, I, I think the best way I saw it was like bat speed matters, but also while having good direction and having good barrel awareness, right? Bat speed doesn't matter if you can, it's golf, right? People think, oh, the golf swing. It's like, yeah, well, club head speed matters on the PGA Tour when those guys have been playing for 25 plus years since they were two years old when they picked up a golf club. Dan and I could go out there and rip 180 club head speed and the ball's going to end up on hole nine when we're teeing off on one, right? It's going to side spin. And there's a thing in baseball that's similar. And again, we, you know, we're lucky enough to have those resources and work with guys in a bat speed sense, but, you know, trying to get guys like, okay, Hey, we're chasing a number because we're trying to build an engine and we're trying to develop at bat speed and we're trying to develop as a hitter. And then you just watch this kid go all out of whack in his front shoulder. He's disconnected. He's flying open. He has no breaks because it's just all about bat speed. And he looks up at the hit tracks and it says he hit that ball 97 and he's fired up about it. And you're like, dude, have fun trying to hit a breaking ball when you're on time for a heater, because that's not repeatable. How do you balance that of being able to get guys where you want them to have the feedback and you want them to be like, hey, I hit that ball 110. You know, we've seen guys that are able to do that, but not get infatuated with that number itself because it has a slight correlation for doing it off of a flip or off of a BP arm to in-game success, right? Those guys that can hit those numbers in-game off repeatable off of game velocity, those are the guys that have a lot of success because exit velocity does matter, but how do you balance that ability to not get guys to create bad habits using the, the chasing a number or chasing a barrel or chasing anything like that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because there's only so much time in a day, right? And there's, there's so many different things that work together in the swing. And you touched on a couple of them when you're talking about is bat speed important? Yes, I think bat speed's important. But I also think your brakes are important. I think that your direction is important. I think that your vision is important. And I'm not putting these in any, any type of order. I think how you use the ground is important. So it's like, I think you want to figure out where, what is the lowest hanging fruit for each individual guy, I think is the best way to attack it. And I think it comes back to what I talked about before, where it's like, hey, guys come in and you're working with a guy for the first time and you guys have started to do lessons and stuff. But, you know, the little bit of lesson work that I've done, it's like, when I'm working with a kid for the first time that maybe isn't in our program, I sit back and watch him the first like 30 minutes, like I'll feed him balls and whatever, but like, I just want to see before I start to make adjustments. Same thing with your college guys. I think you want to try to figure out what's the lowest hanging fruit. You know, do guys need bat speeds? Maybe you guys have enough bat speed and they just have poor direction and they, and they don't have good breaks. They don't use their body efficiently. Um, and maybe they have poor vision. 
So I think when we're when we're training our guys, my overall focus is I'm going to re- reverse engineer it. I want how our guys going to compete off an arm and in game because that's the ultimate. And then what do we need to work on to get them to that point? So I try to give them we're more of a smorgasbord than we are uh this is our focus. And I think that by doing that, it helps guys map out their own individual plan, um, whether that's by themselves or with myself included. Um, you know, so we'll during a typical practice setting, we'll have some we'll have some bat speed stuff going, we'll have some direction and path stuff going, we'll have some brake stuff going, we'll have some vision training going with like Batea. Um, and some different things. And I try to give them all of that in a practice setting. That way they become the most, the best well-rounded version of themselves as they can be. And then if there's something that they're really deficient in, sit down with them and try to talk about mapping out a plan to, Hey, here's some things that we can do to build bigger bat speed. We're going to use the super speed sluggers. And then once we feel like we get to this benchmark, we're going to dial back on that. Now we're really going to build up your brakes because now we've increased your engine but now we need to work on your brakes. Um, so I think that that's something that we do. Um, it's probably different than what we've, than what I did when I first started. Cause it was, you know, like all a lot more just like underload overload stuff, um, and getting, getting guys going with different swing implements. But, uh, and we still do a lot of that. Um, but I try to throw a lot at them cause I think that they can handle a lot. The body can handle a lot. Um, and it, it helps them self-organize by putting a lot on them. So, so tell me this, how, how have you adapted in, because the more hitters that I work with, right. And, and I find it fascinating because hitters are smarter than they've ever been, right. You have guys that have access to TikTok, Instagram accounts, Twitter accounts, that'll give you, you know, a billion different ideas and drills about things you should be doing and in a convincing way that you're definitely going to think it's going to work. But I always, you, you, I have a lot of kids that I've worked with that are active on social media and very intelligent about hitting more intelligent than I was at 18. And I, you know, you know, I think I could say for certain that when I walked into a college campus, I was pretty smart understanding of the swing, but these kids nowadays, they know everything. They, they can see everything and how do you balance the ability to, cause a lot of those Instagram videos are 30 second clips in that need 30 minutes of description, right? So like this guy puts together a nice hot take on a 30 second clip, you know, it looks good. It sounds good. It's convincing, but like, you know, just because let's just use a, a random player who might work with a certain hitting coach who's very popular, Aaron judge, right? If you watch a 30 second clip of somebody telling you Aaron judge does a certain thing, you'd be convinced that that's what you should be doing but you need 30 minutes of explanation to truly understand what goes on. And as I've worked with more hitters, I've almost simplified the game so much more. Is that something that you would kind of agree with over the years of where everything becomes more and more complex? There's kind of simple core parts of the swing that most people that hit well, do well. And you know, it doesn't matter how you coil or how you do this or how you do that, that like, there's really a certain like good hitters do this X X things well. And if you can do that, you're going to have a lot of success for a pretty long time. Kind of talk on that if if you've simplified it or if you, maybe you have still a complex view of it. Yeah, I think that I think that I have a complex view of it personally, but I think that I've simplified it for our players mm-hmm. um, because I think that much like you, like you want to 
I almost want to be a little bit of drinking from the fire hydrant when I'm taking in for information. And then I want to be able to filter out because the broader, the broader that I can get with this, um, the more information that I can bring in, I think is only going to help our players. It's up for me to be the filter. And then when I filter things to them, it's up to them to be the, their, the filter. Cause maybe what I'm telling them isn't what they need to hear, but maybe the piece of it is, if that makes sense. Um, you know, so I've tried to definitely simplify things when I'm giving them um, when I'm giving them information. You know, the judge thing is is uh, is crazy um, because I do think that there's some things that like he teaches that that are good, and I think that there's some things that Aaron Judge does that are. I mean, Aaron Judge is great. I'm not knocking Aaron Judge. I think he's a phenomenal baseball player, phenomenal big league hitter. Um, I don't have anybody in our lineup that's six, seven runs like him and, and weighs that much, you know? So like if I was going to tell everybody they needed to swing like that, I don't think that we would have much success. I think guys need to have individuality um, in their swing and their movement profile. Um, you know, the simplest thing that I've done with our guys is um, I'm a big believer in, in hitters hit. If I give a good hitter a heavy bat, Within three swings, he's going to two, three swings, he's going to be able to be on the barrel. If I give him a short bat, same thing. If I gave him a rope bat, a PVC pipe, if I threw batayas at him, if he hit plyo balls, like hitters hit. Um, so being able to, and I think that then that also promotes adjustability, right? Which if you can be adjustable, now all of a sudden you're going to have more ability to hit in game and, and have that compete in you. So I think... I've done less like mechanical talks with guys. I'm not too mechanical. I like more of an external focus, which I think really simplifies things when we're working with hitters where it's like, you know, something as simpler, simple as hit a hard ground ball at the shortstop, even though that's not our desired outcome by telling somebody to hit a hard ground ball at the shortstop that can clean up some things, maybe with his, maybe with his lead shoulder without telling him like, Hey, you need to be down on your front side a little bit more that's going to give you an optimal launch and it's going to allow you to drive that ball over the shortstop's head. Maybe he just needs to adjust where he's trying to hit the ball, which is, Hey, hit a hard ground ball at the shortstop. And all of a sudden that cleans him, that cleans it up. Yeah, He backspins a double to left center. Right. And that's what you want. Or like, Hey, hit something off the pitcher's kneecaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so, yeah, I, there's beauty and simplicity. I, I really think that there is, but I think you also have to be, uh, smart in the simple things that you're saying. I don't think that you want to just like cue salad guys or be diarrhea of the mouth. I think there has to be some, there has to be some purpose behind it. Um, you know, and I think by, by having a broad focus and taking in as much information that allows you to then filter things down. Um, and that comes back to that gray area. Kind of, we talked about a little bit before with the analytics side. So like take in as much as you can so you can filter the appropriate information to your players um, but those are some things that I really believe in more of an external focus than an internal where it's like a guy's in a, in the box and he's thinking what he needs to do with his hands or do you do with this? Or did I get my foot down or what, you know, it's like, well, you're okay. It's O2 now you, you're already O2. Like you're in an OO count and you're O2 cause you're already, you're mind blown. I know we're, we're, we're getting a little long here, but I, I, I just want to ask, I have one last question. I just want to know who was your favorite player you've coached at Goldie and why was it Trevor Powers? <laughs> Trevor, I wish Trevor never got mono. 
I would have more time with. Don't we all? Um, I wish COVID never happened. I know. I have a lot of favorites, but Trevor, I mean, Trevor definitely had an impact on me. I don't know if he had more of an impact on me as a player or as a coach, coach here, yeah. but it was just like that really helped. I mean, that mellowed me out. Um, we've had a lot. It's like, um, and it depends on what you think is like what makes somebody your favorite. But, uh, but just like watching, watching how some guys attack their work. Um, and that like a couple guys we have now, guys that, you know, um, you know, success leaves clues. It's like, it's no surprise, like with this, how you guys have attacked this. Cause like I watched Trevor attack things as a player, um, you know, and, and how he went so focused with stuff or like, you know, I mean, you guys have been around the game. So it's like just guys you see, like, you know, I always tell our young guys, follow, follow Kyle Walker, follow DJ, follow, you know, follow BK, follow those guys um, and watch how they work. Like, just follow them around for a day and see what they do. Follow Garrett Musey around and watch, like, watch how much he cares about hitting and watch what he does. Um, you know, success leaves clues. Did, did, yeah, I, did you say yeah. that uh, Trevor bellowed you out coaching with him because uh, you realized that you can't be really mad when you look over and, and your assistant hitting coach has his pants rolled up above his knees scaling the fence to fix the GoPro? Or... It's, it's hard. When a, guy's, when a guy's willing to pull those out, all those kinds of stops for the program, you can't be mad. Um, I just think that, like, I think it was just a different outlook on life. And, and I think that that's really helped me when – you know, I was talking to somebody at my other job about that the other day. It's not so much um, about not getting too high or too low. It's about those, you know, if you look like an EKG is like a great thing. Like it's a quick spike and then it's back. Like you have that line that goes straight through. Like if you can get, if you can be on that line more times than not and kind of limit those instead of like having the big waves and just having a quick jump, hey, get excited in the excited parts, but then get back to here you could get a little bit frustrated, but big get your back self back to center. Um, you know, in baseball, no doubt, um, in life, a hundred percent, you know, I think that the more that you can live like that, I think helps you. I think it helps you as a coach too. It's just more perspective. Um, you know, and that's something that like, you know, Trevor and, 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 um, Bill have really helped. I mean, I know that we've had a ton of success at Goldie offensively. Um, you know, and you guys always give me a lot of credit and I appreciate that, but it's like where it took off was like when we had an, uh, when we had an assistant hitting coach, because I, I can't, you know, I can't do it all myself. So when, and when, even before you were there, like our assistant hitting coaches were our players, you know, because they do have so much say in what we do. Um, and they have so much autonomy. Um, and I think that's important. Um, you know, and I, I think going forward, that's going to be huge for us and, and, and how I coach and, and how I go about it is is just uh, it, we're an offensive unit and I'm just a small piece of it. Um, you know, it's about those guys and it's about us and and formulating a plan that best suits our, our uh, personnel that year going forward and, and our assistant hitting coaches and everybody that plays a role in it versus like, hey, here's what I believe in. This is what we're going to do. We're going to figure it out and we're going to beat our heads against the wall until we have it down. And it's like, well. I don't know. I don't know how much enjoyment I would find in that. That's just not who I am. And I know our guys wouldn't like playing for that. So. Yeah. It's you, you mentioned that, um, 
it's ironic because it's it's funny to look back at that year as a player itself um, and saying that you know wish we didn't have mono or or Dan saying I wish we didn't have COVID and it's funny how I look back on that perspective and it actually you know it was like the best thing that ever happened to me like quite <laughs> frankly it's like you know just perspective wise it it helped with that transition to coaching of like realizing that like. I know for a fact people that I played with at Marywood do not view me the same way that people pl- that I played with at Goldie. Goldie. I, <laughs> I have that on on like record. Like there is like I'm sure there's people that are like like when they found out I was coaching, they're like that guy is a douchebag probably to play for. Like a, a no doubt about it. But the struggles and the adversity were were the best thing that ever happened. Even though it wasn't exactly the how you draw it up when you envision you know, hitting the transfer portal and and going up a level and doing all that stuff. But, you know, I think it was the, it was the right time and place. And when I say when COVID hit, I was ready to be done playing baseball. I was ready to be done playing baseball (laughs) to say the least. Um, But Dan, any closing thoughts before, before we let Trey get out of here? I know he's got a wife and kids that are, that want to spend his, uh, his uh, Saturday with him. No, it's a pleasure as always. And I, uh, I, I'll see you next week. I can't wait. Yeah, man. Happy to have you guys home. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. You got any uh, closing thoughts for our for our listeners out there? Anything? Any wisdom? I mean, you brought so much in this hour. I I feel like 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 we've did it in episode one, and then Dan and I hung up and talked, and we we're like, God, we didn't even go in. Now we did it in episode two, and I'm sitting here thinking we didn't even go in. Like it's just it, it's we might have to get long-winded with a five-hour guy or something like <laughs> <laughs> pull, yeah, pull a Jocko or a joe rogan here and just like yeah, sit up just, shop and, and get a day down and carry um i would say like it, i mean it depends on what the listener base is but if you're a player or a coach i mean i just think that take in as much information as you can from as many different avenues as you can i think that that's helped me um you know even if you were an hour and seven minutes into this now if you've listened to the pod um, and you take one thing away from, from what I said, and you can put your own spin on it. Um, then I think that it was worth it. Um, you know, define again, define what success looks like. I, I listen to a bunch of people and talk to a bunch of people, um, to try to learn any little thing, whether it's something that we already do that maybe I could clean up or something I haven't even thought of that, that maybe would help our players. So there's just so information, so much information out of that, out there. Um, you know, it's your job to take as much in and then filter it. Um, that, is, that would be the best advice I have um, right now. But And then also, if you're not subscribing to the pod, you need to. So what are you doing? I appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate that one. Um, and that that is so important, right? Being open-minded, not acting like you know it all, know everything, and being able to learn is something that everybody in baseball and in life should be able to take out of this conversation and, and be able to go from that and, and keep that open mind. So definitely uh, appreciate that. And thank you to all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast, including YouTube post episodes every monday holiday schedule is going to ramp up here uh so uh but we're going to get this one out on monday and then we're hoping to have something starting in the new year to get some consistency on those mondays um they're always hitting your feet at 7 a.m sharp don't forget to follow us on twitter at backside gb instagram at backside ground balls and tiktok at backside ground ball and most importantly make sure you're sharing with five friends and we'll see you next time on the backside ground balls podcast